I don't want to get into a debate about my dog being cuter than yours. There's a puppy on staff that is giving my girl a run for her money. So let's just say I have a cute dog. My dog Haberdash is a pug, a smooshy face, snuggly, loyal to us couch potato. She's fiercely protective of our family and home. Fierce. It's a lot. I mean, if she was any bigger or a different breed, people would be scared. And she certainly thinks she's bigger and a scarier breed. She's really annoying and sometimes embarrassing when people come over. A simple doorbell ring brings chaos into our home, especially if the ringer isn't coming in. She's never met a mailman, Girl Scout, neighbor, or evangelizer that she thinks is less than super sketchy. <laughs> and man, if she slips past me and gets outside, many, many a pizza man has helped me to shoo my aggressive yapping dog back into the house. One time there was a guy working on our neighbor's house from our backyard. The man made the choice to go through the fence into my yard without saying anything. I didn't know he was back there, so when I let my fierce protector out to do her business, we discovered the intruder at the same time. They say that when threatened, you experience fight, flight, or freeze. That day, I was a full-on fight. So I'm standing on my back patio, shouting at this man while my dog is running circles around him, also screaming at him in her native tongue. This startled man stood in our backyard wide-eyed as me and my dog yelled at him up one side and down the other. I don't know that she could protect my body in an attack, but she would certainly make a lot of noise about it. My husband has decided that this is all about framing. Our darling, adorable princess is not being rude. She's heralding your arrival. Hear ye, hear ye, Father Roy from House Cole of Trinity Episcopal Cathedral in Portland, Oregon has arrived. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. For the royalty you are, know that if you come over, planned or spontaneously, the protector and herald of my home will announce your arrival. She may continue to announce your arrival for some time as befits your station. This morning we herald the Feast of Christ the King. It is a day to reset the order in a world where power is military, where riches give value, where fame equals status. The lectionary concludes the church year by relocating true power with God. It is our New Year's Eve, the end that next year starts from. As a progressive Christian, it is a challenge for me personally to speak of Jesus, the Christ and Messiah in problematic political terms. Kings, lords, princes exert power in a flawed and human way entirely different from God's perfection. So to pair Christ the King with this gospel story where Jesus is judgy and harsh makes me a little squeamish. When presiding Bishop Michael Curry says, if it's not about love, it's not about God, that is everything I know and experience of God. I'm not an amen to a sermon kind of gal, but if ever there is a time for an amen, that is one of them. 
If it's not about God, if it's not about love, it's not about God. Someone give me an amen. amen. But here we are today where every church year ends. Jesus promises that all nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, come you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But the goats will go away into eternal punishment. <laughs> I try to be one of the sheep, but I know that I have goat days. Anyone else? Scripture is contextual, and while it is a living document, always living and revealing new wisdom, it was written in a specific time and most often for groups of people and not individual goats. Matthew was likely composed in the later part of the first century, around 30 years after Jesus, for the second generation of Christians who may or may not have had interaction with him. In 70, the temple was destroyed, a devastating loss that left a long shadow, something like 9-11 for us, but bigger. The Romans had surrounded Jerusalem for five months, and then they invaded the city and committed unspeakable atrocities. They left only a few structures standing and ravaged the people, leaving them with a newfound and painful understanding of how brutally evil people can be. The destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem would be a live and painful wound for Matthew. The kind that makes your breath catch and your chest tighten. The physical grief that clenches your stomach. The gospel is being written in the midst of recovery. There were clear good guys and bad guys. Of course we inherit this story from Jesus' life. God's righteous judgment in a time of powerlessness must have been balm for their souls. Hang in there, it will work out. What leaves despair in this life is a hope in the next. In the ashes of World War I, Pope Pius XI is living with similar devastation. The world has experienced a different kind of warfare and millions have died, millions more have been disabled and there are ruins everywhere. The war ended with a cessation that wasn't founded in true peace. It was the agreement to stop fighting without resolution. Sometimes that is the best we can do, to agree to disagree. But anyone who has experienced a teeth-grinding, passive-aggressive political conversation over Thanksgiving dinner knows that a couple of glasses of wine may resurrect the same tense conversation next year. And the Pope recognized that agreeing to disagree was, at best, a short-term solution. He looked at the world leaders who expressed their power through military might and selfish ambition and relocated power to its true home. Humble, loving, protective. These other yahoos weren't king. Jesus is the king. Christ the king is a feast day founded in the ashes giving hope in a dark world. The gospel is always first for the oppressed. Jesus always stands 
with and on behalf of the sheep, the vulnerable, the ignored, and the sick. Being a good human and a follower of Christ requires us to always use the power we have to protect those with less. Jesus is the true king, and service to him is about serving them first. With power greater than any military, Christ uses his extraordinary might to stand with us, to be among us, to love and be loyal to us. And we are invited to do the same. Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. It's not easy, but it is simple. Feed the hungry, give the thirsty something to drink. Welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick, visit those in prison. Jesus told us that this is how we worship God. Matthew knew that this is what the people needed to hear from Jesus to help them survive and recover. Pope Pius knew that this is how the world would heal, not through weapons or charisma or wealth, but through service and love. By using our power to empower those around us, Attributed to, ver to a variety of people, it is said that history does not repeat itself, but it rhymes. It was not hard to think of Gaza as I read about the siege of Jerusalem this week and about so many other places. We don't have to look hard to find darkness in this world. The news is always ready with a story too painful to bear. However harshly, 2,000 years later or 100 years later, Jesus' call is clear and simple, and Matthew and Pope Pius called on it when it was time. This world doesn't need more misery and hate, sorrow or punishment, and it doesn't need more kings. It is full of hungry, thirsty, lonely, sick, and incarcerated people. Take care of them, Jesus says. From the ashes Jerusalem rebuilt, and the world from the First World War, this is a gospel for end times. Next week, we begin a new year with prophecy and whispered stories, and pregnant women and shouting wild men, and hope coming in the most unlikely way. But today, Jesus sits with us in the grit and the ash, and he tells us how to get to the next place to repair this wounded world. Feed the hungry, give the thirsty something to drink, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick, visit those in prison. Do it because you are followers of the way, because we are Christians, or because we are wounded too, or because it's the right thing to do to take care of each other, or because a better world for me and for you means a better world for all of us. The judgment is not the important part of this gospel, and it was never the important part of Jesus' life with us. It's not about sheep and not about goats. 
It's about love, the love of the all-powerful, infinite God who chooses to walk with you and with me through the best and worst times of life. Without herald or fanfare, without weapons or jangling pockets full of coin, God doesn't have a YouTube channel, just you and me. There's so much work to do. It can feel overwhelming, but let's you and I just start somewhere. Feed, give, welcome, clothe, care, visit, love, heal. Amen. <laughs>